Hey everyone, you are listening to the official podcast of the Evangelical Free Church of Ken, where our mission is to glorify God, helping each other become mature disciples of Christ as we worship, grow, serve, and reach. Bibles and open up to Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 9 is where we're going to be, and we'll get the lights up here in just a minute. Um, Isaiah chapter 9, and uh, we're starting a new series today uh, that is going to be our month-long Christmas series, so four weeks, and uh, we feel like this series is rightly entitled Christmas Isn't canceled. And it, it it seems as though a lot of things right now and most people anymore are just assuming that everything is canceled. And uh, it, it used to be it was uh, if you don't hear anything, it's on. And now it's uh, if you don't hear anything, it's canceled. You, you will tell you if it's not canceled. <laughs> and uh, we can easily in a season like this, I think it's revealed that many of us have just become frustrated and discouraged and in the scheme of that we've lost a lot of hope and many times uh, maybe in your household right now it feels as though there is a, a little bit of lacking Christmas joy as it were because of the distractions that are taking place. Now as I was thinking about uh uh, our series and this message today, I couldn't help but reflect a little bit on my childhood. There's something about the Christmas season that causes us to kind of think back on traditions or uh, things that happened as kids that just stick out. And maybe when you were going through it at the time as a child, it didn't really stick out as much. But now as an adult, you're just you, you can you can go back there in an instant. It doesn't matter how old or young you are. We, we each have some of these. And I distinctly remember as a kid, we would, uh, every year it was tradition that Christmas Eve, we would go to my dad's side of the family for a Christmas Eve meal and we would open gifts together and that was the designated time. Then we would usually go to a Christmas Eve service of some kind and then we would go home. And I am positive that that Christmas Eve night was the night I got the least amount of sleep as a kid of any night the rest of the year. Because there was this anticipation. I, I, I could not wait for what was going to happen the next morning. And so if we had received something at Christmas Eve, like uh, uh, my big thing was uh, I, would all, I would get Lego almost every year. And so I would uh, either stay up late or wake up really early to build whatever that was. And it was, I mean, you lay down, you couldn't go to sleep, and then I was up at like 3, 4 in the morning. And we had this rule in our home that you couldn't go in and wake mom and dad up until 6. Yeah. <laughs> and and of course, as a kid, you're going, man, that's so long. And as an adult, I'm going, man, that's really early. But the reality was, we couldn't do that, and so we'd sneak out there really early in the morning, and you'd look and see all that was under the tree, and then you'd go back to your room, and now it's even worse, because you, you don't know what's actually there, and there's the anticipation builds, and there were many a year that we did not 
uh, follow the rules and wait till six. But we would always come up with a creative way to make it happen. So th- there was one year we sent our, our youngest brother in with a cowbell because we weren't going to take responsibility. And there was another year that we, uh, if you remember uh, the little tapes you could record on, cassette tapes. Some of you won't remember those, which is scary to think. But we would, we had a boombox. We could record whatever we wanted. So we recorded this, this message of like, wake up, sleepy heads. It's time to get up. And so we'd run in and we'd set the boombox down and we'd hit play. And then we'd run out because, oh, it's not us. We're not going to do it. But all of these encompassed around something that's so interesting, and it's this anticipation for what's going to come the next day. It's this eagerness that comes about, and it's enough to keep us up at night. It's enough to wake us up early. And you're not even tired when you wake up early, because you just can't wait. And the reality is... In the midst of a season like this, it can be a really difficult question to ask ourselves, do we have that kind of anticipation for what's to come? Or are we so distracted by everything else that the joy and the peace and the hope that's promised to us in Christ, which is why we celebrate this time of year, just seems to have faded. And so the main idea today that I want you to root into, if you get nothing else out of this time, I want you to get this, and that is, in the waiting, knowing God's promises, hope endures. In the waiting, if I know what the promises of God are, and why we truly celebrate this time of year, hope endures. And what we're going to see is that nothing can change that. Okay? So let's look at Isaiah 9. Isaiah chapter 9, I'm going to start reading in verse 2, and we're going to look at verses 2 through 7 this morning. I'm going to read, then we're going to pray together, and uh, we're going to dive a little deeper into this this morning as we navigate uh, this reality that Christmas isn't, and the reality is it can't be canceled. Isaiah 9 chapter, Isaiah chapter 9 verse 2, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod for his, of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in the battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Father, as we take a look at this text today, may you encourage us. May you remind us of your control, of your sovereignty. May our hope as we leave here be rooted in that which cannot change. And may we celebrate with joy the reason For our hope, that is Christ our Savior, 
whose birth we celebrate this month. We pray this all in his name. Amen. Now, before we go any further, it's really important that we step back and we take a moment to consider uh, what is the significance of this this guy named Isaiah? Why are his words important? And what 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 even is this? Um, Isaiah is known as one of the major prophetic books, and that's not to discredit or say that the others are less important, okay? It's simply to recognize that Isaiah and the amount of space that it takes up in your physical copy of God's Word, and all that it covers in its chapters is considered one of the major prophetic books of Scripture. So if you ever hear, hear someone refer to the major prophets or the minor prophets, it has nothing to do with how important their message is or isn't. It has everything to do with the reality that the, the words that they're speaking and what they're communicating is uh, significant. Further, Isaiah's intended audience here is the faithful remnant of Israel in light of God-given visions about the future of Israel and Judah. How do we know that? Well, if you were to flip back to Isaiah chapter 1, verse 1, you're going to see that in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 1, he says, The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. So, why is this important? This is important because the reality is... Isaiah's message, as he is, his prophecy that he's speaking here, is not a prophecy directly to you and me. It is a prophecy concerning the nation of Israel in this time with all that they're dealing with and all that's going on. And it's a prophecy that speaks to, and this is what a prophecy is, something that is yet to come. A prophet was someone equipped by God, called by God, to receive a message from God in order to speak that message to the people of God. Now the first six chapters of Isaiah establish really a case for the judgment that is going to come. In other words, you could read the first six chapters of Isaiah and you would go, okay, he's developing a case, almost like a legal case for why this judgment is about to happen, why it's about to transpire. And within those first few chapters, it becomes really clear that God's message through Isaiah is one that is to foreshadow both impending judgment, but also eternal hope. Now, as you read through Isaiah, one of the really significant aspects of this book of prophecy is that sprinkled throughout the whole thing, is what we refer to as messianic prophecies. These are prophecies that were spoken, that ultimately are fulfilled in Christ. And we see that in Isaiah 7, we see it, we see it here in Isaiah 9, you see it in Isaiah 53, and there's so many. And we're going to unpack the significance of that even a little bit further. But it is important, church, and this is what I want you to grasp most in this background, kind of behind what is uh, the reason we should study Isaiah. It's important to understand that what Isaiah is speaking here, when he is speaking this, Israel has not yet been taken into captivity. They are not yet in exile. They were experiencing a lot of pressure and a lot of conflict from the Assyrians. But the reality was, 
it was going to get worse. And so in the midst of that, in the midst of tension, in the midst of, you can imagine the nation of Israel as a whole looking at what's going on and what's taking place and they're becoming discouraged. They know their past and they're wondering what's the future going to hold. Sound familiar? And they start wrestling with this and in the middle of that, God promises something that's yet to come. In the waiting, knowing God's promises, Hope endures. That's our main idea. Now, let's look at some of these promises specifically in Isaiah chapter 9, starting in verse 2. It says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. This is a promise to be brought out of darkness. Now, what's really interesting is if you... Uh, just jot down, if you're taking notes, or take a mental note here, of John chapter 1. In the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. One of the four Gospels. In John chapter 1, we see something really interesting. And it first speaks about this guy named John the Baptist. And in verse 8 of chapter 1, it speaks... Speaking about John, it says he was not the light. Everyone say not. But he came to bear witness about the light. Verse 9 of John 1, the true light which gives light to everyone. Y'all say everyone. Everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. The light in John 1 is speaking about Jesus. John came to bear witness, to testify about the light. Isaiah 9 promises to the nation of Israel, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. And it's no mystery that light shines so much brighter in the darkness. The promise to be brought out of darkness. The second promise we see in Isaiah 9 is a promise of peace. Everyone say peace. Verses 3 through 5 say, You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest. As they are glad when they divide the spoil for the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in the battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. In verse 7, again, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. Sounds great, doesn't it? Now, church, this becomes really challenging, and obviously we recognize here this is being spoken to the nation of Israel. But the truth remains that true, lasting peace here on earth cannot and will not take place until Jesus himself reigns. 
And we can easily become so distracted because we look around us and we go, my goodness, nothing is going well. Everything is in chaos. And we become focused on the chaos instead of being focused on the promise. Now, we can go the other way, right? We can go the other way and we can focus so much on the promise that we completely ignore and become stagnant to the mission we've been given here to model Christ on earth. And the balance here, church, is that we recognize we are a people who are here right now with a mission given through God by His Son. But our anticipation and our security and our hope is not in this. And it's not here. But it's in eternity. And nothing can change that. That was the promise that was meant to bring a sense of of stability and a reminder to the nation of Israel as they are about to enter into a time they had no idea taken into exile. And my goodness, if you continue reading in the Old Testament, it it was bad. And it was hard. And you have other prophets that are weeping over Israel for who they become. And yet these promises remain true. And they remain consistent. There's a third one that we see. A kingdom established with justice and righteousness forevermore. Look at the second part of verse 7. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. That's a God justice, not a man-made sense of justice. It's a God righteousness, and it's lasting, it's eternal. Now, once again, I will speak to this. The truth here is that here's what we can anticipate with eagerness in eternity. It does not change the fact that we are called as people of God. We are called as children of the Most High to do justice and love mercy. To seek that out, but to do so rooted in these truths of what God has promised. Now, a question that could come up in this is, how how are these things promised? How are these things going to come to be? And we see this in such a unique way. The first thing is in verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. It's through this child that God is promising these things to the nation of Israel, to his people. And this had to, I, I, we don't really know what the response was as they heard these things spoken from the prophet. But I have to wonder what their thought process was when it was said, a child. It doesn't come out and say, a great ruler. It doesn't come out and say, a phenomenal king. But instead, For to us, a child, everyone say child, 
A child is born. And the government's going to be on his shoulders, his name. Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now those aren't meant to be specific like this is what you're to call him. But they're to resemble and reflect the working and who is this child going to be? Who will he be known for? But there's a second thing we often skip over, church, in this. How will this be done? The last part of verse 7 in Isaiah chapter 9 says, The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will be the one to establish these things through this child who is to be born. You and I have a unique perspective, don't we? That sitting here, we know what comes after Isaiah's prophecy. We hold the truth of the gospel in our hands. But do we anticipate what that means? Do we wait with eagerness like a child on Christmas Eve? Does it wake us up in the morning eager to encounter the day? So I want to shift this a little bit in a personal way. What causes us to lose hope? And here's what I want to do, just briefly, because I love, I love to involve you in this time. Okay? And if you're online, you can just type a response to this in the comments. And people there, you can participate too. Okay? Because this is really important for us to identify and discuss. What causes us to lose hope? Just shout that out if you're here. What, what causes us to lose hope? Fear. Okay, what else? Our own timeline. Okay, it's not done in my time, God. I'm starting to lose hope. What else? What was that? It's too late. Okay, good. So it seems like it's too late. It's already passed. I've lost hope. What else? Okay, it just seems like things are, there's a cycle. It just keeps happening. Over and over, and even in Second Peter 3 that we read earlier, the scoffers who come, that's what they say. Is Jesus really going to come? Because since the fathers all passed away, things have remained the same as they were from the beginning of creation. That's exactly what the scoffers say. And it, we start to buy into that. We start to lose hope, right? What else? What causes us to lose hope? Amen. When we're not in the community and company of other people, other people who can encourage us in our walk of faith, right? That can cause us to lose hope. When I don't have other brothers and sisters, I start to feel alone and isolated and I lose hope. What else? Focusing so much on our problems or our struggles that we lose sight of the hope that we have. All right. Now. These are great. And we could sit here a long time and talk about this, okay? The reality is, I think there's three main areas that a lot of these fit into that I'm going to give you as to why we lose hope. Trial, time, and temptation. 
Here's what I mean by that. When we're in a season of trial, it is really easy to quote the letter from James. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. For the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And perseverance must have its work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Man, who wouldn't want that? I don't want the trial, though. And we could quote that, and it's really easy to say that to someone else, isn't it? Someone else is going through a trial. Count it all joy, brother. Well, when the tables turn, I'm like, I don't want to count it all joy. I just want to be angry. And you know what? It's okay to struggle. Joy doesn't equal happiness. And that's another sermon. Okay? But in the midst of trial, if it's prolonged trial, I don't know about you, but I am prone to lose hope. My goodness, God, I know you promised to develop in us perseverance, but come on. Time. How many of you look at your life and you go, nothing that I've encountered of any major significance was done on my timeline? How many of you are those people? Okay, there's a couple of you that are honest. The reality is most of us would recognize stuff right now that it's like, this is not my timeline. My goodness, if it was your timeline, I'm pretty sure the pandemic would have been over in March. Not our timeline, okay? Does that mean God's promises are any less true? Does it mean that he's any less faithful? Does it mean that our hope has changed? No. But it's not on my time. And man, when it just lingers and lasts, I'm prone to lose hope. You know what's interesting? Is there hundreds, estimated 700 years between the prophecy in Isaiah and when Jesus was born. 700 years. My goodness, we've lost patience in nine months. And we allow that to shift and completely take away our joy. And temptation is the last one. Man, when I face seasons of temptation and I fall into temptation, I fall into my sin, I am prone to lose hope and become discouraged. I'm prone to forget the hope of the gospel that I've been given in Jesus. Even though the promise of 1 Corinthians 10 is that God will always provide a way of escape when we face temptation. When I don't take that way of escape or something comes in the way of that, my goodness, I am prone to lose hope. Trial, time, and temptation. Now, all of these, here's the big one, church. All of these ultimately come down to we are most prone to lose hope when we lose control. When I lose control of in my parenting, when I feel like I've lost control over my finances, when I feel like I've lost control over my job, when I feel like I've lost control over the, the culture, you fill in the blank. When I, as a fleshly person, sense that I have lost control, then I lose hope. And what's interesting is, when I lose hope, that's often the time when we're most prone to go to God in prayer. Because I've exhausted all other means. That's, it's kind of sad, isn't it? So, where are you at? 
What have you lost control of that seems to be squelching the joy out of this season for you? And I'm not saying that somehow you put on a face, okay? Don't do that. Turn to your neighbor and say, don't do that. Okay? Don't put on a face. Why? Because as we talked in Galatians, my goodness. Oh, there's somebody who's going, no, we're not going back to Galatians. (laughs) We were in Galatians for 12 weeks. But in Galatians, we bear one another's burdens. That includes, even if someone is struggling to find joy in this season, come alongside of them. Be vulnerable and honest, but ultimately recognize that our joy is not here. That's why it can't change. Your life circumstances are going to change. 2021 is going to, you're going to encounter new struggles, okay? Your struggles aren't going to vanish on December 31st. But our hope, if it's in Christ, remains secure. So, three application truths for you as we close. Number one, God's timing is not our timing. Wait on the Lord. Turn to your neighbor and say, wait on the Lord. Hey, you might need to repeat this over and over and over again, because this is not an easy thing to do. Psalm 27, 14 says, wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. We're in a season of waiting, church. And we're going to be waiting until Jesus comes again. Or until he takes us home to be with him. God's timing is not our timing. Wait on the Lord. Secondly, God's promises are not man's promises. Mankind will promise you many things. Man will promise you friendship. Man will promise you success. Man will promise you reward. Man will promise you all of these things of this earth. God's promises are not man's promises. Trust Him. Everyone say, trust Him. Trust Him. Second Peter 3.9, which we read today. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promises. Some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And lastly, God's hope, the hope we find in God Himself, is not an earthly hope. Hold fast, church. Hebrews 10, verse 23 says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For He who promised is faithful. Everyone say, God is faithful. In a season of waiting, church, when you are tempted to doubt His faithfulness, Trust Him. Hold fast. And remind yourself that in Christ, hope endures. Amen? I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward. Let's stand together and we're going to pray and then we're going to close with a song speaking this truth and this testimony of these things. Heavenly Father, we come to you and we praise you that you are a God who is faithful and that in you our hope endures. God, that Christmas isn't and can't be canceled because the reality is your plans cannot be canceled. The hope that we have in you cannot be canceled. 
And so, Father, I pray right now for the one listening to this this morning who is recognizing that their hope has been squelched by all that they are going through and all that they are dealing with. God, may you use this to encourage and to remind that the true hope we have in Jesus is one that cannot be changed. No matter our circumstances, no matter our discouragements, no matter our frustrations, hope endures in Christ. May you use this powerfully by your Spirit to motivate us as we go from here today in Jesus' name. Amen.